What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Before we get into the show, a quick pitch, if you will. It feels very NPR, but it's a thing or two instead. Will you please rate and review our show if you like it? If you don't like it, that's up to you. But if you like it, it really helps other people find our show. And as you may be aware, podcast discovery is sort of like weird and not that great yet. So even if you just like smash those star buttons, that will help us a lot. If you want to write something really nice, that'll help us even more. All right, here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. Erica, I'm so excited about this next topic. We're doing sort of a grab bag episode. It's really all over the place. But it's like a little servicey. It's a bit of a servicey grab mm, bag. Yes. Yeah. Full service podcast. <laughs> um so first we're going to talk about the concept of the Michigan star. Um as in M I C H I G A N. Not Michelin and we understand your confusion. We'll we'll fix that. So two things I think it's important to say about this. One, this concept was created by our friend Peter. It's Lizzie Fortunato's husband. We cannot take credit for it. It's a genius concept. It's far too bright for us to have come up with it. Lizzie get Lizzie and Kat, her twin sister Catherine get, you know, a lot of the spotlight and their husbands really fade into the background. But I actually think this is Peter's chance at stardom. Um, 100%. And Nick will get his chance too. I just want to yes, make it clear. that's right. <laughs> totally. And... The other thing that, Erica, you were concerned about, and so I will just like take the bullet and say... Thank you. No, this is This has absolutely zero negative implications about Michigan at all. It is... In fact, I think it's like... It says something nice about Michigan, and it's mm. just because Michigan rhymes with Michelin. In its yeah, way. or like... Yeah, right. It sounds <laughs> right. like... In a, in a like Drake song lyric sort of way. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> So we're really getting ahead of ourselves, but it felt important to just like put those two out there from the beginning, from the get-go. Exactly, exactly. As a proud Midwesterner, I did not want anyone to think um, okay, that we so were saying mean things about Michigan. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So basically, what is a Michigan star restaurant? You're asking now that we've teed this up with 30 yeah. minutes of context. <laughs> it is a neighborhood spot that is reliably great, but it's not like getting national attention. It's not on like Bon Appetit's it, best new restaurants It's list. not a hot spot. It's, it's not just, a hot spot. It's just a good, solid neighborhood spot. You can always get a table. 
Always you know, get a table. There's at least there might only be one really like outstanding thing on the menu and two like two or three fine things. Maybe there's two or three really amazing things on the menu. It's just good. And it's the kind of place where like if you go enough, you suss out what those amazing things are. You crave those things. You tell everyone to order those mm-hmm. things. It's like a low stress place to eat. You can like walk in. You don't make a reservation. Mm-hmm. The wait staff probably knows you at least by face, if not by name. Yes. And it's like not insanely expensive. Like you're not like, oh, that's my special occasion spot or like whatever. And the truth of the matter is you don't need to live in a neighborhood or a town with a lot of amazing restaurants as long as you have one Michigan star. Exactly. Like, And I do, and we were talking last night with, with a friend and like going through the restaurants in his neighborhood and in mm-hmm. our neighborhood and like in New York in general. And we've decided that there are like one Michigan star restaurants, two Michigan star mm-hmm. restaurants. Half like, a Michigan star. A hundred percent. And uh-huh. so this, again, like like all, you know, like all rating system is tiered. Yes. Uh, to me, it's the place where when the end of the day comes and it's time to do dinner and you like could cook dinner, but you're like, I just like don't have it in me and I don't want to do delivery. Like well, you're just like, it's like your second kitchen. Yes, exactly. It's like your second kitchen and you're just like, that's, I just, it's easy. It's fast. I didn't have to plan in advance to go there. And like when you move, you mm-hmm. might revisit your like mm-hmm. old Michigan star restaurants. Totally, totally. You know, because they're like, they this, like they offer this comfort for you. It's like the like, it's like the restaurant equivalent of like your local bar. It's just like mm-hmm. the perfect like place for the purpose that it is serving in your life. It is not trying to be anything else. And when someone's like, oh, is that place really good? Do you like it? You're like, no, it's fine. It's just fine. It's like good. It's fine. It's not like amazing. Like I'm not going to tell you if you're visiting New York to go out of your way to go there, but I love it. Well, or you might also start in the other direction being like, oh my God, it's amazing. And then have to roll it back and be like, I mean, <laughs> like we go there all the time yeah. and like this dish is amazing. And then the like yeah. staff is so nice and blah, blah, blah. And like that table by the window is perfect. But like, it's not like that kind of restaurant. But I will also say like, I think at most Michigan stars, you could order all the wrong things on the menu and walk away and being like, that place is trash or that place is just mediocre. Like it's just not good. And it because you haven't had everything, you don't realize it's actually a Michigan star. That's right. You have yeah. to be regular for something to be a Michigan star. You have yeah. to have gone there a bunch of times to determine it's Michigan starness or not. It's just your old reliable. Um, your old reliable. Yeah. yeah. I was saying, I mean, this is not useful to most people, but I, to me, the thing, the place that epitomizes a Michigan star is that when we lived in Dumbo, there was this Italian restaurant called Almar that you never needed a reservation. I mean, maybe you do now because that, that neighborhood has changed a lot. You might just think it's like a sort of like, middle of the line Italian restaurant, but it had a couple really stand out like the kale salad, the mezzi rigatoni. You loved the breakfast uh, egg and egg and the hole truffle cheese have. toast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just great. It was just great. And we could always go there and we would always go there for date night and I miss it. You know what I'd also like to say is a contributing mm-hmm. factor to a Michigan star restaurant. Yeah. It is open. Yes. Like it is open when you mm-hmm. want it to be open, which means that it like Definitely serves dinner most nights, mm-hmm. like almost every night. Maybe it yeah. takes a night off. Probably serves lunch. If they serve breakfast, like even better. Mm-hmm. Like I think that is like an important factor. You have to just be able to go there yeah. um, when you totally. want to be able to go there. One thing you pointed out that I actually think is really important is it's like a place you'll probably bring friends when they come to town. Yes. When you're not trying to impress them, it's just like your friends who are basically family who come visit you every like pretty regularly. You're like, let's just go to this place. It's our local haunt. I do feel like that is so important to have. 
Right. And it's like this thing that's like, this is a taste of our actual life. This yes. is like what we do when you're not here. We go Thousand to like percent. this place and we order this. Yes. You know? Yeah. I had a question because yeah. it was trying to figure out what my current Michigan star is. And I've actually been lamenting that I don't have one even before I had the vocabulary for Michigan star. And you pointed out that like Guero's, which is a local taco place that we both like, is it is kind of a Michigan star. And it certainly serves that purpose in my life. Like when I'm just like, I just want to take Cam somewhere like for a little date night, something easy, whatever. Well, and whenever I tell people to go to Guero's, I always tell them the two things that I think they should order, Mm -hmm. which are the fried avocado tacos Mm -hmm. and then the half and half margarita, which is half frozen, half like on ice. What about the queso? That's your, I'm not as much, I mean, I like queso, but it's not. I'm going for the queso. Those are my two menu items for sure. For sure. So that is definitely what's serving the role of a Michigan star in my life. I realized part of why I don't think of it as a Michigan star is because it's counter service, which Mm. makes no sense. Of course, a Michigan star could, in theory, be a counter service place. We're making, mm, mm, we mm, and mm, Peter mm. basically are making up the rules. Definitely, then, Peter's in charge. We yeah. should run it by him. And we see should what run he it by him. And then service. another question for him that I have is: Can a slice shop be a Michigan star restaurant? Because I've been sad that we don't have a slice shop near us, or at least a good slice shop near us. Yeah. And having a good slice shop in your neighborhood at least feels like the same sort of universe as having a Michigan star. Like maybe there's another name for it. I think that's right. I don't think it, I don't think a slice shop can be Michigan star, but I think it has, it holds like other status. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think probably a lot of Michigan star restaurants are red sauce joints. Don't you think? I do think that a good neighborhood Italian restaurant, yes, I feel like a good neighborhood Italian restaurant or a French bistro, yeah, like definitely like falls into this category. You, Although we've been talking, we were texting the other day about sushi places that I Mm. feel like are a bit, that were falling squarely in the Michigan star category. Absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sushi restaurant can definitely be a Michigan star. Yeah, yeah. It's just a really useful concept to have. And as soon as you hear it, you're like, I get it. Listen, we spent 25 minutes (laughs) talking about our arguing about this last night with someone who granted is incredibly argumentative and can fight about anything. But I just think it is ripe with your neighborhood friends to have this, to have this talk. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Thank you so much to how to do the pop for sponsoring today's episode. Erica, you and I were just having a conversation where somebody said something that I feel like we both just like nodded emphatically about, which was that like, if you want to look to see sort of like where so many trends are headed, whether it's like design, flavors, cooking, just like all of it, all all of it, it, like culture. Retail, yes. Yes. Retail, yes. That the cannabis industry is the place to look, that it's just sort of like what's on the cutting edge of everything. It feels like such a bellwether for where things are headed. And it's just such a fascinating industry to look at right now from every angle. And it's why How to Do the Pot is so exciting as a podcast because it's really priming you to understand the sort of like basics, the foundation of all of this stuff of like, what is pot good for? What are the different types of pots? How do I buy pot? Like all of that stuff where you're just what like- What is a shopping experience yes. like? I mean, you know, we like to know that. We like to know the shopping experience. That's right. <laughs> exactly. We're so excited to be partnering with them because we do feel like this is this sort of pot education that needs to exist and and like should have existed already, but especially in this moment in time where it's everything's evolving so quickly. It's so helpful to know all of these things. 
Did you know that three out of four women in the U.S. have access to legal weed, but so many women still have lots of questions? How to do the pot podcast is demystifying cannabis for women and answering all of those questions that we have. Every week, they release short, fun episodes that answer all of those questions women secretly Google about cannabis. How to do the pot shares women's personal stories and advice from experts to help with solutions around stress, sleep, sex, and chronic pain with the goal of helping women feel more confident in their choices about cannabis. If you're ready for practical advice about weed by women for women, listen to How to Do the Pot wherever you get your podcasts. That's How to Do the Pot wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to Maiden for sponsoring today's episode. Erica, I finally did something to rectify a problem that every sort of like paternal character who enters our kitchen gives Chris and me grief about, Mm. which is that we didn't have a knife block. A knife block? Yeah. Did you, you have a knife block? Well, we have slots in a drawer. Yes. We have okay. A, that's what, yes. yeah, that's yeah. what I would have preferred, but we don't have a wide enough drawer for that. Interesting. Um, so we had to use up counter space, but I just felt like I'm at the point in my life where having nice kitchen tools is important to me. Yes. Because I recognize that it just makes you a better cook. And it also makes you more willing to cook when you have nice kitchen tools. I was going to say, it's like, yes, that like makes you a better cook, but also like if if you don't hate your knife, if you don't hate your pan, if you mm-hmm. don't like hate these things, you're just yes. much less loath to make dinner. Like my God, chopping vegetables, chopping tomatoes specifically with a sharp knife. A delight. It is a delight. And it is like, it is not at all comparable to chopping tomatoes with a dull knife. It is an entirely different experience. It is why we are so excited to be partnering with Maiden who understands this in their very core. Very core. So Maiden produces professional quality cookware for those of us who love to cook. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen and chefs to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. They've got the best pots, pans, knives, and wine glasses that are made to last and come with a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can go easily from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp for cutting tomatoes. They have over 28,000 five-star reviews and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin star restaurants around the world and probably Michigan star restaurants probably too. Probably also at Michigan star restaurants if I had to guess. Made In is better cookware for better meals. Right now, Made In is offering our listeners 15% off your first order with the promo code a thing or two. This is the best discount code available anywhere online for Made In products. Go to madeincookware.com slash a thing or two and use the promo code a thing or two for 15% off your first order. That's madeincookware.com slash a thing or two with the promo code a thing or two. Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all. But then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. Something else we wanted to get into on this episode, you and I both have a couple of weddings coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and because we have- it's like all of the weddings that were would have happened over the last year and a half got rescheduled for now before... For any- October. Yeah, right. For October. <laughs> for September, October 2021. Yes. Because everybody was like, cool, we're all vaccinated. We're going to, we're going back to normal life. And it has been fascinating to see the different ways people have been conveying 
what the like COVID protocol is and like their comfort levels and, you know, what what they're doing for the wedding, first of all, and then how they're sharing the information. And you and I have both been very stressed because we are in a place where we're not comfortable being inside unmasked with a bunch of people, even if they're vaccinated. Yeah. And, you know, everybody has their own like comfort levels with all of this. And so it just like makes it all extremely hard. But we got this super good email from a friend who has a wedding coming up and it was just like the email that made us both be like, this is what I want from everyone. This yes. is the exact email that I want from everyone. Can we have it, please? We asked him if we could basically reprint the template in our episode notes so other people could use it. It reminded me of when we talked about like my postpartum experience and I talked about how I had this text that I copy pasted about how a, a polite way of saying you can only visit my baby if you have a flu shot. This feels like the same thing where it's like somebody thought of a really diplomatic, useful way to say you can only come to this wedding if you're vaccinated and like feels like everybody should just have this template to work from. So we're going to like share this content with you here. So the email is set up. It was like sent a month out and it was like, we can't wait to see our wedding is 30 days away. I.e. you would have time to get vaccinated <laughs> if you are not vaccinated yet. Because you also can't send the like you have to be vaccinated email right. week before your wedding because yep. that's like kind of whatever. Okay, And you have anyway. time to cancel your plans if you don't want to get vaccinated. You're going to get a disc. You're going to get a refund yeah. on your hotel if yep. you cancel now. Yep. Okay. We are so excited. We can't wait. Here are some updates. And then it was like a serious stuff header mm -hmm. and then bullets under serious stuff. You must be fully vaccinated to attend the wedding. Please send your proof of vaccination to this, to like our email address. For children and adults with underlying medical conditions preventing them from getting vaccinated, we asked you to obtain a negative PCR COVID-19 test result within 48 hours prior to the event. Your health is of utmost importance to us, and we have therefore decided to cancel XYZ indoor thing that's stressing people out. <laughs> but don't worry, the dance floor will be open until like whatever. It was just like being like, here are here is everything that is happening that you need to know. And then there was like a fun stuff header that was just and like the rest of the things relevant to the wedding people needed had the scoop on. So it ended on a fun note. It was super straightforward. It was not too serious. It didn't feel judgy. And like, listen, I'm the first to be judgy about vaccination politics, but like you don't need to be judgy in your wedding announcement. No, like, it was just like them's the rules. This. And we're yeah. making the rules because we're in charge because it's our wedding. And it was very comforting for people like us who are like, we're not comfortable in certain situations. It's enough information for guests to like make an informed decision about how they feel. I think it also is nice in that if somebody read that and they're like, I still don't feel comfortable coming. I think after reading that email, they would feel totally fine being like, you know what? We're not going to make it and feel like the, the bride and groom weren't going to be pissed at them. It was a bride and groom raising their hand and being like, we get that this is all on all of your minds and here's how it goes. Whereas like, if they hadn't said anything, you might feel like a jerk being like, I know you're probably in wedding planning hell, but hey, what's the deal with this thing? Which Claire, I just did recently because yeah. you know what? Like you also have the right to do that. Yep. And I hated having to do it and I hated having to pick up the phone to be like, I need to know what like the deal is. But also mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to show up to your wedding without the information I need just because I love you. Um, yep. And like, I'm going to love you either way, but I might not come. Yeah, totally. And that it's a really hard position to be in as a guest to be like, I don't know and I don't want to bother them and I don't, but I also yep. don't want to cancel them last minute when they've already paid for my meal and this and that and could have invited somebody else. It's like, it's just a very tense, uncomfortable situation. And this email felt like it solved for all of it. And I was very impressed. Loved it. Loved, loved it, it. Loved it. Loved it. Another health related thing. Another health related thing. So we got a really incredible voice memo from a longtime sort of like listener pal of the show, Miranda Johnson, who is a lovely woman. She's around our age. I think she's like 
you know, late 30s. And she recently survived breast cancer and has talked a lot about it. She had a baby like at almost exactly the same time that I had a baby. And so she and I like were always DMing about stuff, but like big difference between our experiences, young mothers, is she got diagnosed with a really aggressive form of breast cancer, like right at like moments basically after her baby was born. And so she had this tip that she wanted to share with people. And so we're going to let her her share this. Um, and she does so in such a thoughtful way. Um, yeah. Hi, Queen and Erica. This is Miranda Johnson. And we met briefly at your work-life event in Minneapolis, which was so awesome. Uh, I'm reaching out because Claire asked me to resend this tip. And I'm so happy to do that. And really excited that you're going to share it with your audience because it's something that I wish I personally would have known sooner in my life. And I think it's really powerful for every woman to know. So it is a tip to help women advocate for themselves in the medical system. So if you go to your doctor because you notice a lump or bump that wasn't there before, you've got a symptom you're concerned about, anything like that where something's different and you feel like they are not taking you seriously, you can ask them to document your conversation in your case. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you had a lump in your breast that you found. And they say, you know, you have a history of cystic breasts. You've got really dense breasts. People your age don't get breast cancer. Let's just keep an eye on it. We don't need to do any tests at this time. Let's just keep an eye on it. But you don't feel comfortable until you can absolutely rule it out that that breast lump is not a concern. You can say, well, what test would we do to rule out any concern? And then depending on what they say, you can say, like, okay, they say we do an ultrasound. Um, you can say, well, I want to do an ultrasound. I want to rule out any concern. Let's move forward with that. And if they say no, you can ask them to document the conversation in your chart and document that you requested, you brought up this lump and requested an ultrasound and they denied that request. And that is usually enough to move forward with the test. This is so important to know because I have heard so many stories of women who pushed and pushed for tests, for answers, and they were ignored because they were too young or they were seen as essentially being whiny and complaining and just deal with it. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later if it continues to be an issue, but put up with it for a while. I'll also really briefly tell you my story because I absolutely was not listened to. I think of myself as a really smart, savvy person. I've got lots of doctors in my family. I'm not intimidated by them. I'm not intimidated of having hard conversations. So it's just like I would think I would be the person who absolutely would have advocated for myself. And I wasn't. So I want to tell my story too, because I think it helps bring this to life of how this happens. So I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer just after turning 36 years old. I had no family history that I was aware of. And I found the lump when I was about eight months pregnant. I brought it up to my doctor right away, showed her the lump, and she just said, you know, it's something pregnancy related. We don't need to worry about this. It's really rare, but you can get clogged ducts when you're pregnant. And that's probably what this is. So don't worry about it. It'll go away once you give birth and you start breastfeeding. And so I thought, okay, she sees this all the time. I shouldn't be worried about it. Fast forward to I, a couple of weeks kept bringing it up. You know, it's a little bit painful. It seems like it's getting bigger. 
do you still think it's fine? Yep, still think it's fine. So we didn't do anything. But I just had a nagging feeling about it. I was connected with a lactation consultant in my area. So I reached out to her um, and just said, you know, my doctor isn't worried about this, but I'm wondering if there's anything I can do. She thinks I have a clogged duct and it's just painful. It's uncomfortable and it, it hurts. Can I do anything now to help relieve some of that pain or to get rid of this clogged duct? Or do I really just have to wait until I deliver and start breastfeeding and then it'll just magically go away? And the lactation consultant um, chatted with me and she said, you know, you could get an ultrasound and I think that would be a good idea at this point. So I brought that up to my doctor at my next appointment, which was a couple days later. And she is no longer my doctor, um, I should say my doctor at the time. And when I suggested the ultrasound and told her I talked with a lactation consultant and she thought I should have an ultrasound, she actually laughed at the suggestion. And so I thought, okay, she's not worried about it at all. I trust her and I know her and she has seen me for years. And so I guess I'm fine. I'll just wait until I deliver. At that point, it was about a week and a half from, I had to have a planned C-section for other medical reasons. So unrelated. So I knew in a week and a half I'll be giving birth and then this thing's just going to go away. Fast forward to birth, gave birth. I met the lactation consultant, I think the next morning and she right away, unbeknownst to me, started advocating behind the scenes for me. She saw the lump, talked with me, was wonderful, amazing woman. And she started advocating for me to get a ultrasound ASAP. I had to be discharged from the hospital before I could get the ultrasound because it was an outpatient procedure, which is ridiculous and then a whole nother tangent of our insurance systems. But anyways, I got an ultrasound. We brought our three-day-old son to the ultrasound. The radiologist came in. They tried, They brought her in because they were trying to save us another trip with a newborn. So normally they would do the ultrasound and then maybe biopsy later after they had read the results. But they got it all done for me in one appointment, which was amazing because they felt bad that we had this tiny little baby. They weren't concerned. The radiologist did not think it was breast cancer, but she still biopsied it. Thank goodness. Um, in that same appointment. And she gave me a list because I've got, again, doctors in my family. And I was like, I know they're going to ask me what she said it could be. So I still have a picture of this list she wrote out for me with five things on it. And breast cancer was not on that list. No one thought it was breast cancer. At this point, it was six centimeters long, the lump, and you could actually see it on my breast without even feeling it. So it was huge. It was growing aggressively. And so my son turns 10 days old. I get the call telling me it's cancer and start treatment. So all along in the hospital after giving birth, I didn't know the lactation consultant was advocating for me. And I was talking to my doctor still about this lump. I was talking to his pediatrician. I was talking to the OBGYN consultant. Um, I was talking to anyone who would come in the room about it and no one would take me seriously. And thank goodness Jane is her name, the lactation consultant. Jane was advocating for me. She believed me. And I learned later because we've stayed in touch that she was a breast cancer survivor herself. And she just said, when I saw it, I just knew. And I knew you had to get in. So I had somebody advocating for me. Thank goodness, because I was just trying to survive as a new mom. But not everybody has that. And I wish I would have known I could could have asked them to document it. And somebody probably would have done something because not everybody has a Jane. And I want your audience to know that that is a simple tool that they have. It is power they have. It gives them a stronger voice and it helps them advocate for themselves. Because I hope that 
um, this doesn't happen to anyone else. My story ends fine. You know, I ended treatment. I'm doing well. Thank goodness. Knock on wood, cross my fingers. Um, I went through a year and a half of chemo, radiation, chemo, surgeries, the whole shebang. But I have, I finished treatment and I've been a cancer survivor since February, 2020. So about a year and a half under my belt which is really exciting. But I want to make sure that other women, when they have health issues, know how this can help them get answers because sometimes we are just ignored and that is the truth. This was like obviously so moving and I loved it. And it made me like, one, obviously it's just such a useful takeaway, but it also made me think about the fact that I've had moments where I wish I would have advocated for myself a little more yeah. or even like the, the thing that it immediately brought to mind is I had skin cancer on my face that was diagnosed and removed a year ago. Yeah. But I had been aware of the spot and like confused and a little worried about the spot for I think like 18 months before that. And I am like 99.9% sure that I had brought it up to the doctor early on and that she had been like, it's fine. Don't, um, don't sweat it. Exactly. And then, you know, 18 months later when I came in again, because I was like, it's looking really weird now. And she was like, it's probably fine, but we'll biopsy it. And she biopsied it. And sure enough, it was basal cell carcinoma. At that point, it had spread enough under my skin that like the surgery was to remove it was more extensive, more expensive, a bigger scar, all of it. And I was like, God, I just like, if this had been removed earlier, like it wouldn't have been such a big deal at all. And I'm pretty sure I said something. And what I wish is that when I'd said something, I'd said, cool, could you just jot it down in my records? I don't even know in that moment if I would have or should have pushed for like, no, 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 can we please biopsy it? I just think if I'd known that it was in my records, she might have paid more attention to it then. I could at least say, I know for a fact that we talked about this and that this was in my records from then. And I just, that idea of being like, cool, can you just make sure it's there so that we're keeping track of it so that next time you see me, you feel compelled to bring it up. Or if I see another doctor and that doctor has access to my records, that doctor knows to bring it up. I think it's the we're part of it. It's the Mm -hmm. like, I want to make sure we're keeping track of it because otherwise it feels like it's very on you to keep Mm -hmm. track of. And it's like, it all comes down to you raising your hand again and again and again and being like, can we look at this thing? And if you're shut down so many times, you just feel like, well, I'm being a crazy person or a hypochondriac or like whatever. And you stop raising your hand. Whereas if it's in the record, at least that forces that conversation annually for someone else to be like, oh, last time you came in, there was this thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and that's the thing. I mean, I should hope. I should hope. I should hope. And I think Miranda's making the point that like, it is this step that will get the person to actually then just give you the test, whether they want to or not, which I think is important. But I also think even if you're not like, I have to have the test, I want the test, I want the test, just saying like, we're going to keep this top of mind and forcing it in that way is important. I've also had like various things postpartum that I'm quite sure are hopefully not cancer or anything serious, but that I'll ask a doctor about like weird pain, like in sort of like this area of your chest called your xiphoid process. And people are just like, I've never heard of that being a postpartum thing. And I feel sort of like condescended to, or like, you know, just ignored about it. And I do think next time I bring it up, I'm just going to be like, cool, can you just make sure it's in my chart so that four years from now, when we're still talking about this, that there's a record of it. And that like, and that you don't have to do recall either of like, when's the first time you noticed this? When's the first time you brought it up? Because that's like another thing I feel like whenever I'm at the doctor, it's like the struggle of like, well, how long? Or like, when did that happen? Or when mm-hmm. did this parent have this thing go on? Where I'm like, I wish it were just logged at the time because yeah. I don't trust my memory. Totally. <laughs> either. And I also want to say like, I 
you know, not that this needs to be said, but I also get the position doctors are in. And this is like a structural issue. And I like, you know, I think doctors are put in really tough positions with all of this stuff. So it's not, you know, I don't like not to vilify or blame them. I'm so grateful to all our healthcare workers. It's a fucked system. It's why it's all the more important to advocate for yourself and to feel comfortable doing that and to feel like that is part of the process. Yeah. No, I think also just for a lot of these things, a lot of it becomes a question of like, will your insurance even cover that test? And like, will we, you know, what would that be like? Or what's the process? Or what's the weight? Or et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. We're going to move away from health um, and talk about a few apps that Mm -hmm. we are using that like, you know, bring actual value to our lives. (laughs) I couldn't believe how just like enthusiastic I got about these apps while writing the notes for them. (laughs) <laughs> I can believe it. I can believe it. Can we talk about Weatherstrip, your favorite weather app yeah. that I've also been using? It's wonderful. It's so great. I started paying for it recently. Me too. Um, and it's so worth worth it. It is a weather app that is designed in a way that is just so much more intuitive than the like basic weather.com and like Apple weather app. It is called Weatherstrip because it is literally a horizontal strip representing the weather. And on that strip, you have different lines for cloudiness, precipitation, temperature, UV index, index, humidity. Yes, all of it. And it just makes so much more sense to me than these little blocks that are showing you every hour on the hour what the temperature is. So what you can do is you can scroll across Mm -hmm. this strip and see how things change over time, which is also just like a satisfying experience because you'll watch the UV level go up and down and Mm -hmm. you'll watch humidity like fluctuate. And And the storm come in. It's like weirdly calming uh, yeah. to navigate in a way that you're not just like clicking on, yes, 12 o'clock, two o'clock, nine o'clock or well, whatever. And it feels really nice too, to just be like, instead of being like, what's it going to be like at 3 p.m. to sort of be like, I get a sense of what the afternoon is going to be like. I also will say the humidity thing is so important to me, A, because I hate humidity and I will like plan my days and my exercise routines around it. And the Weather Channel app, which I think is the other best one out there. I agree doesn't say anything about humidity. It just leaves it to you to combine the real feel basically and the chance of precipitation and to be like, okay, I think that means it's going to be kind of humid. But like You the do ch- the mental math. You'll get there. <laughs> the percentage chance of precipitation is not the same as humidity. No. <laughs> turns out. And like, yeah, the real feel that it just... Having something that just says like it's high humidity right now is so comforting to me to just be like, thank you for telling me. Thank you for not making me get outside to discover this. I will say the one thing about it that's not as great is it's clunky if you want to look at weather in other locations. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. as good at that. And I haven't had it during the winter. So I don't know. It doesn't have a real feel thing. It doesn't say like 73, but feels like 89. Real feel is such a like, I I know this is a term. I know this is (laughs) a term. I I don't think I've ever said it aloud or heard it aloud until right (laughs) now. And it's kind of blowing my mind. I love it. Some weather company definitely trademarked it. I'm sure the Weather (laughs) Channel, Claire. But I'm just like, yeah, real feel. Okay. Let's Google who, who trademarked real feel. AccuWeather. <laughs> yeah. AccuWeather yeah. owns real feel. Love it. It does feel um, like a brand called AccuWeather would have been <laughs> the one to trademark real feel. In 2010. They've, they've wow. been on this for a while. Um, so I don't know how it deals with the when it's like 30 degrees, but the windshield makes it the windshield makes it feel like zero degrees. We'll we'll see. We're about to find out. Yeah, exactly. We're definitely <laughs> gonna find out. Um, but I just think it's such a better weather app. I just feel like it just gives me so much more confidence in like what it is actually like outside versus just the temperature and like whether or not it's gonna rain. 
I'm in super into it. I also pay for it. So yeah, that that is certain that is something. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't paid for a weather app since you know Dark the early Sky? days of Dark Sky. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. R A P to Dark Sky. Yeah, when it was it, I mean, it's still around. She's I not know, good but it's anymore. just not good anymore. <laughs> no. Which how? Why? What? When like why? Listen, listen, who knows? Okay. Yeah. Who knows? Okay, an app that I want to talk about that I've definitely talked about before, but I just feel like it bears repeating mm-hmm. maybe like every two years. The Libby app, mm-hmm. which is the library, like the like universal library borrowing app. You know why it bears repeating? Because so many readers still don't know about it, I think. I know. I have friends I who are really it. big readers who don't use it. And I've been so surprised by it. I'm like, you read so much. How do you not know about this thing? Well, you know what, Claire, the thing is, I think what's hard for people is that it's too good to be true. You know, it just feels <laughs> it too it good to be true. So you can borrow ebooks, you can borrow audiobooks for 21 days. The only time I've been in the library over the last couple of years has been to renew my card so that mm-hmm. I can use Libby. And there's often a wait, especially now because they've put more caps on how many things you can check out and place on hold at a time because mm-hmm. of the pandemic, because people couldn't go to libraries and thus more people were using this or that was like the thinking and so there's often a wait, but like, so what? There are a lot of books in the world to read. Mm-hmm, Pick something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And I really like that, like, after I read a review or whatever, I can just like add it to the queue there. And then maybe like later I'll be like, oh, like I actually want to read this more and like swap things out or whatever. But it like feels a little bit like putting it in a shopping cart. Um, I don't know. It's just such a satisfying experience. If you use a Kindle, it sends it to your Kindle. I recently just listened to the Demi Moore memoir, which was like one of those things where I was like, this is not a book I need to buy or own. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a lot of books that I consume or that are not maybe books I need to buy or own, but like, I really enjoyed it. And it was like a great morning getting ready, like, listen, Mm -hmm. thanks to Libby, you know? I'm just saying there's like lots of good trash to be had too. It's not just literature. Is it how you keep track of what you want to read is just by like putting it in your queue? No, I use Goodreads. still use Goodreads for that. Okay. But I do have the notification set up on Libby um, mm-hmm. to tell me when something comes up yeah. for like checkout. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, I just, I mean, I love buying books. I just don't need to own all the books I've ever read. And like, I try to make a regular donation to the Brooklyn Public Library, mm-hmm. you know, to cover for the fact that like they, they provide this amazing service yeah. for me. Yes, totally. um, the other thing is you can sync up multiple library cards. So like if you had a New York Public Library, Brooklyn Public Library, or like your hometown library or whatever, you can sync them all up to access all the catalogs because maybe like the thing that has a long wait in LA uh, doesn't have a long wait in Seattle or whatever it is. Love that. Yeah. I have to say, I don't use it as much as you because I am not as apt or like I don't have as much time to read and I just like don't yeah, yeah, slash yeah, yeah. don't read as quickly and as often as you do. So it is harder for me to always finish a book in the time allotted to me the the 21 days. So I'm sometimes like, oh, fuck. And you taught me, you can cut yeah. this out if you think it's... No, listen, um, I feel <laughs> fine about it, honestly, because it's yeah. like, what? listen, these are digital books. They're not real. So <laughs> the fact that like, there is this lending period is like a little bit complicated. Say you're like at the 90th percent mark mm-hmm. of a book and you're at your 21-day mark and you're desperate to finish it. You can just turn the Wi-Fi off on your Kindle and they can't take that book back. Yeah. Because um, that's how that it airplane works. Mode, airplane yeah. mode going. Yep. Turn on that airplane mode, finish your book. It's yep. fine. Yep. Um, and so there's sometimes no library that. late fee if That's you right. do that. Anyway, love Libby. It's wonderful. So wonderful. 
My recent discovery is this app called Picture This, which it's one of these ones where you take a picture of a plant and it tells you what it is. And I know that these have existed for a while and I've always kind of felt like, A, it can't be that good or like accurate and B, I don't know why I would use that. And I downloaded it while we were um, in LA at Huntington Botanical Gardens, even though they have signs and stuff, it was just sort of nice to be like, what is this thing? And then I Well, realized, but sometimes the signs are like buried in mulch or whatever because yeah, exactly. they're with plants. Like yes. it's fine. Yeah. This thing, so two things. It is so fast. Like it is so fast and I cannot believe how accurate it is. Every time I'm like, could it have possibly gotten this thing right? This is such a like common looking leaf. And then you look at the picture and you're like, no, that is the exact leaf. That's what I'm looking at right here. That's what I'm looking at right here. It is so remarkable. And then it gives you so much information about the plant. It's like commonly asked questions. It gives you, you know, tells you basically whether or not this thing would be something you could grow given the climate and amount of sunlight and stuff you have. You can save Mm. it to your garden so that you're keeping track of A, things you want to plant or things you like maybe just have in your garden. It is so wonderfully useful. And once I like got into the habit of using it, I have found so many use cases for it. Like Like what else? Well, one, when I was in LA, there's just so much greenery there that I'm, and floral stuff that I'm not- West Coast flora, florals. Yeah, that I'm not familiar with. It all smells incredible. And I'm just like- I just want to remember and know this thing and know that I'm like obsessed with this particular plant. And there is a case, and like also that feeling of seeing something and being like, that actually does look like something maybe I could plant in my garden. Just walking by, you know, somebody else's house and being like, oh, that's a tree that could work for us. The idea of like stopping, taking the picture and being like, okay, noted next time we're thinking about getting plants. Like maybe this is something we would want. It's a little bit like the people who like are keeping track of the wine bottles that they love. Yes, You know what I mean? Um, But like a little less you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Two other like very specific use cases. I feel like there are so many random plants and weeds in my own garden that I don't know what they are because they are either like things that have started growing randomly or they were left over by the previous tenants or there's something that has like made its way from my neighbor's yard into our yard. It's so useful and also just fun. Like we had a weed start growing that had a berry on it, like a legit big berry. And I now know about this thing and know that like in some climates it is invasive and that the berry can be used as a dye and all of this stuff. But it was so weird to be like, I didn't even plant this thing and I have berries. The other thing is we have poison ivy in some parts of our yard and I am never, ever trust myself to know what is actually the poison ivy. And this thing identifies the poison ivy for me. We have an indoor plant A friend who moved in the pandemic asked us to babysit a plant and cut to now the plant's dead. And (laughs) (laughs) And I've been, we have been too lazy to actually just like remove the planter and the soil. So it's just been sitting and it started growing what I assumed was a weed because it's been so long that I don't even remember what the plant looked like that originally grew in this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm feeling for this plant. Like really? Okay. Okay. If there's a loser in this story, it's that plant. (laughs) So when the weed started growing, I was like, it's a weed. And then I was like, this actually it looks like it's actually like maybe a real plant. And so I took a picture of the leaf and it identified it as a tarot plant or a tarot something. And I, you know, not like a tarot root, but it was like, I w- when I looked and read about it, I was like, oh, if this thing keeps growing, this could be like a really nice house plant. I think I'll keep this thing after all and keep watering it. Because I, I had started watering it when the weed came because I was like, oh, hi friend. Like you can have some water. Uh, I know you haven't seen Wally which brings yeah. me, you know, <laughs> a lot of feelings, but yeah. it does feel like a real Wally moment for anyone who has seen it. There's just like this sprout yeah. that grows and you're like, I will water it then because <laughs> here we are. Okay. The other thing that I really like about it is I feel like, and this is definitely a bit of an overstatement, but that growing up, I could always just turn to my parents and be like, 
what's that thing? And my parents would always know the answer. And part of that is because like my dad is an obsessive gardener and my mom is a plant biologist. So like they have, they know these things, but it's one of those things where I've always felt deficient that I would never be able to answer that question for Cam. And I love that now I can be like, you know what, let's figure it out together. We're going to take a picture of this thing. And There's, an app, There's yeah. an app for that. Yeah. I just felt like one of those, mm-hmm. you know, people feel weird about their parenting skills and weird like Waste. for random yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. And this was definitely one of those things, which is like, I'm not going to be able to tell him what bird that is. And I'm not going to be able to tell him what plant that is. And he's going to ask. And I'm like that even before I became a parent, that always felt like, how could I possibly be a parent if I can't answer those questions? There's a good birding app too. Mm. I can't remember the name of it, but I will, we will link to it in the show notes that basically it, you describe it's like, oh, okay. Th- th- basically, like it also has calls, but you like, mm. it'll be like, is it smaller than a sparrow? Is it, what color is it? What color mm. is its chest? What is it's like, whatever. It's like these little descriptors that like anyone can input. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be like, here's your bird. And you're like, nah, I can't know. And then you play the call and you're like, that's what I just heard. That, that, yep. I'm up. so impressed by these apps abilities yeah. to do that. It is wild yeah. to me. My mom sent a picture of a plant that I was like, hey, you know that plant? And, 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 and she sent it and I uploaded the picture she sent and it worked. It's just it's so impressive. I love this. I yeah. love this. Um, all right. Anything else you want to get into? That's all I got. All right. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so, so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us to make this podcast happen, especially our outstanding producer, Brian Peoples. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com. If you love our show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu at, you guessed it, a thing or two HQ.com.